Artemi Panarin is in the middle of a political firestorm. The Rangers lose their star player for an indefinite amount of time following a politically motivated Russian article. We'll dive into how Panarin got to this point and what it means for the Blue Shirts. We'll chat about the Panarin saga and Wednesday's 4-3 loss in Philadelphia as the Post's Larry Brooks joins us. We are also joined by former Rangers winger Daniel Carcillo as we talk about his Blue Shirts run to the Stanley Cup Finals in 2014, as well as his work pioneering mental health in sports. All that and more is next on episode 45 of Up in the Blue Seats from the New York Post. Ladies and gentlemen, we ask that you direct your attention to Center Ice for a special presentation. Welcome to the Up in the Blue Seats podcast, our New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, wherever you get podcasts. But go in there, give us a five-star rating, write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. We got a busy show ahead today. The Artemi Panarin saga to talk about. Fans are back in the garden on Friday. We'll be joined by former Ranger Dan Carcillo and, of course, the post Larry Brooks. But first, let's bring in the stars of the show. First, it's the New York Post own Molly Walker and her co host. It's former Ranger number 10. Ron Duguay. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our show. And yes, we have a great show today. And let's start with some good news. Henrik Lundqvist is back on the ice, folks. Yes, Alpine, New Jersey. He's skating. He's taking shots. And I've seen video. He's looking good. Even talk. He may come back this year. So we got to stay tuned and pay attention to that. And boy, would it be wonderful if we can get them on the show. So we're going to look into that for you. But right now, last night, let's talk Rangers, played against the Flyers. They went to that game with a lot of confidence. I was looking and hoping for some good things, and we saw some good stuff. Kreider scores three goals. Zubinajag gets a couple assists. Although not looking his old self, he's still getting points, so hopefully well, this will build some confidence in him that we need to have him on his A game. But last night was a disappointing game because they had taken too many penalties and they fall short to the Flyers. But today on our show, a guest that uh, I've always found interesting, very entertaining guy as he played, that's Dan Carcillo. Dan will discuss his life as an NHLer, two Stanley Cups in Chicago. But more importantly, he played for the Rangers. And he'll chat with us. We want to know about why he had to leave the game with all these concussions, why it it kind of, he went through so many emotional, sensitive things that all these things we're going to know today. And his company that he's created, Wasana, which is, that I find very interesting, psychedelic mushrooms. Now, it's not the same as back in the 70s. It's different now. It's healing purposes. So we'll discuss that. But right now, let's bring in co-host Molly Walker, who's a big fan of Dan. And uh, But more importantly, we want to know more about Panarin. What's happening with Panarin? Molly, give us the update, please. Yes, it has been quite the eventful week for our Temi Panarin, the Rangers, and the NHL as a whole, honestly. And I never thought that covering the Rangers would surmount to writing about Russian politics, Vladimir Putin, and Russian culture. But here we are. You know, to recap... 
Artemi Panarin will be taking an indefinite leave of absence from the team amid a Russian tabloid article that was published on Monday with an interview of Panarin's former KHL coach, Andre Nazarov, who Panarin played under with a team called Vityaz. In the interview, Nazarov puts forth this incredibly detailed account from December 11, 2011, that Panarin went out drinking with some teammates to a hotel bar and then beat up an 18-year-old Latvian woman. Nazarov claims Panarin was detained, that there was a criminal case, a trial, but that police were paid off 40,000 euros in cash to let Panarin off the hook. There's just so much more to the article. Nazarov saying Panarin never apologized, etc., taking shots at his character now that Panarin is living this lavish life in Manhattan and such. So Panarin vehemently denies all allegations through a Ranger statement. The organization has shown its support for him. Panarin's agent also denies all allegations. And even the NHL says it supports Panarin and that they're just monitoring the situation. I don't believe that a formal investigation has been launched because essentially there is no concrete evidence for it. But Panarin takes an indefinite leave of absence. I know there's some timelines going around like two weeks, but it is indefinite. And we will talk to Larry Brooks about it a little bit later in the show. So there is no set time as of right now. Getting down to some of the reporting that I did, and we'll talk to Larry as well about his reporting that he did. But the first thing to mention is that Nazarov is is pretty far from a credible character. Russian journalists have described him as mentally unstable, a drunk, and a man who has viciously tried to gain favor with Putin's regime, essentially. And Panarin has been one of the most outspoken Russian athletes probably in history of a current Russian power. It is completely unprecedented and something that does not happen in Russian culture. And he has even shown his support for Russian opposition leader as recently as last month in an Instagram, in an Instagram post. He gave an extensive interview in July 2019, shortly after he signed with the Rangers, simply eviscerating the Putin regime and everything that it stands for. And if you look at some of Panarin's cohorts in the NHL, Alexander Ovechkin, Semyon Varlamov, and some other Russian players, they're all very outspoken of their support for Putin. I know Alexander Ovechkin has even gone as far to have his own merchandise line for Putin during, like, leading up into the 2018 presidential election. So that's some context there as far as how unprecedented it was for Panarin to take this stance against Vladimir Putin and the Russian country as a whole. Now, I spoke to five of Panarin's former teammates who were on that 2011 Vidyaz team, and all of them had no recollection of such an incident happening. The most promising source was John Morosti, who was an older, a veteran, and an established player on that club. And he basically said that he would have been shocked if if something like that happened and he didn't know about it, considering he was just very well embedded in the team and was an older guy and, you know, just he felt that he would have heard about it. Now, there is one other teammate who apparently was Panarin's roommate that specific night in Latvia who told another Russian outlet that there was a minor incident that night, but that it didn't go down in any way close to how Nazarov described it. He said everyone was drinking, and Nazarov said that this teammate was drinking juice, 
while Panarin was heavily drinking alcohol, but this teammate refuted that and said everybody was drinking, and that they had an encounter with a group of young women. And he described it as a verbal conflict, but stated that Panarin did not assault anyone. He said the maximum would have been that Panarin, quote unquote, slightly pushed one of the girls away from them. And this teammate also said that police did come to the team hotel, but left after deciding that there wasn't anything to charge for. And he also refuted the bribe report, saying that they simply didn't have that kind of money at that time playing in the KHL. Now, the KHL as a league gave a statement to ESPN basically saying that there was never any such report made to them and they hadn't heard anything either because had they have heard, they would have taken it very seriously, obviously. And that's basically where we've left off with that. I wrote a pretty long article about Panarin's upbringing, his rise to a platform, and how he got into politics. You can read it at nypost.com, talking about how Panarin essentially came from nothing and created himself into this star NHL player and taught himself politics by listening to independent Russian outlets and starting to form his own opinions. And that's what brought him to take such a strong stance against Putin. And this is a guy, Vladimir Putin, has been in office since 1999. So uh, so Panarin has said that he just feels like this guy has been in, in power for too long. And that's why he's come out so strongly. But I mean, obviously, it is a huge blow to a Rangers team that is in need of offense. And that is all that Panarin is. And he is also a leader on that team. So I know that all of them had nothing but nice things to say about him and and that uh, David Quinn said that he is fairly confident that Panarin's name will be cleared. But yes, Ron, quite the eventful week in Rangers land and uh, we'll we'll keep monitoring the situation with Panarin. Ron, should we get Molly some oxygen? My goodness, take take a deep breath. Oh, take take some yeah. water. Do we? Do you want caviar? Some shrimp? Something? My goodness, breathe. I want I want Vladimir Putin to send me some caviar. Yeah. So, Ron, no, the current Rangers, it. Ron. Let's, let's take it away. Yeah, no, that was impressive, uh, Molly. We appreciate your insight and all our listeners appreciate because we want to know. We want this guy back on the ice, and I'm sure the NHL wants that wants this thing behind. I was listening to Bob McKenzie last night, who's the NHL insider, and he did say that he believes the NHL is going to do the separate investigation. And if they do, I have to believe they want to do this so they can get to the bottom of this as soon as possible so we can get Panarin back on the ice. And the one thing I think about Panarin, and Molly, you can maybe comment on this now that you've caught your breath. When he signed when he signed his contract, he says, it's not about the money. I want the things that money can't buy. Now, that says a lot about a player. Here's a guy that grew up with very little, and his story's great when you think about what he went through just to be a hockey player. So it's not about the money. He just wants to be a player. He just wants to play. So what do you think he meant I want the things that money can't buy. You know, I'm really happy that you asked this question. And in my article, I have the exact number figures that he turned down from the Islanders, from the Blue Jackets, which were substantially larger contracts than what the Rangers were able to give him. But you know what I think that he wanted by coming to New York? The media capital of the world is a platform. That is what he meant by saying that he wants what money can't buy. He wants to have an influence because he sees the disarray that his country is in right now. And he wants 
the largest place, I mean, and that is what New York City is. That is what Manhattan is. It is the media capital of the world. You can't get a bigger platform than living in New York City, than playing for a New York team. All eyes are on you, and it is one of the largest populations in a single city in the world as well. So I think that is what Panarin meant by saying that he wants what money can't buy. He wants to be able to make a difference. And that is something that he said in that July 2019 interview is all the only thing that he's coming from in making these statements and taking this stand against the Putin regime is he wants change. I know that uh, there was a Russian law passed making it illegal to speak against the government. That is directly taking away the concept of freedom of speech, something that America was literally founded on. And he spoke out against it. He made an Instagram post, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure, saying condemning it and saying that it wasn't right. And he, you know, he also he wasn't exactly complimentary of the way that America does things, but he noted that, you know, you have two four-year terms at the most, and then you're out. You can't come back. And that's something that he believes should be implemented in his country because Vladimir Putin has been in power since 1999. That's an absurd amount of time for one guy to be running a country with the same ideologies and the same outlook. And that's just something that Panarin feels extremely passionate about. And he went as far to educate himself, taking things that he's learned in America. And he specifically said, he said, it's not like I came over to America and suddenly learned everything and knew everything. He took notes from both countries, put it all together and formed his own opinion. And that's how he came to, to speaking out. So I guess strongly against, against Putin and, and that, and that Russian regime. Well, his wishes come through. <laughs> and as a fan, I want him on the ice. You've had a smile, Molly, on your face all morning because <laughs> our guest today is Dan Carcillo. And apparently uh, you really liked what he did for the New York Ranger, even as a player in the NHL. So please share with us why you're smiling <laughs> about Dan Carcillo. Oh, Ron, I hate when you do this to me because <laughs> I, I am a reporter. I am an unbiased journalist. I am not a fangirl. Let me get this on the record. but. I, I did. I was a senior in high school when Dan Carcillo was on that 2014 Stanley Cup run team. And I just, I love the way his style of play. He was so much fun to watch. He was an entertaining guy. You know, he had that little bit of a goon in him and that's always entertaining to the fans. But I, I specifically tell Dan the story when he became my first favorite player on that team. And he shares such great insight into what made that team so special, talking about uh, Martin St. Louis's uh, when he lost his mom and how that fueled them and just lots of great insight there. So definitely one of my favorite interviews that we've had on the show so far. So yes, very much so looking forward to that. And I did tell him straight up that he was my favorite player on that team. So, but again, I am unbiased. <laughs> yes, yes, you did. And that even makes me feel old at 30 that you were, you know, you were having hosts his cupcakes and uh, while he was checking people into the glass hurting people uh the rangers had a bit of a buzz kill obviously losing on wednesday night they will face the bruins for two at the garden and then the sabers at the garden and the big story before we move on to larry brooks is fans are back on friday night alex camarada who's in for sarah mccrory's works at msg network and alex you could say Things kind of ran smoothly, you would say, at least for Knicks fans who had to go again PCR test within 72 hours, but not too long of a wait, and people got in nicely. 
Yeah, everything was smooth for the fans coming in. Obviously, they had those test results ready. And in order to buy the tickets, you have to show that as well. So with 2,000 fans, obviously, it's not a lot for the Garden. Used to seeing 16,000 plus, but it ran smoothly. In terms of the employees, though, getting tested, that was a process. But if you're a fan looking to go to the game coming up, these next two games, you should be all good. It's going to be a good experience, and it's amazing to see them back. Molly Walker is not a fan. She is a reporter, of course. We know this. <laughs> and she will be there. And, you know, you got to get there, what, like 3 o'clock for a 7 o'clock game? You got to get your test. And uh, do, do they feed you? Is it like a torture chamber? Like, are there any food? <laughs> Uh, no, there is no more press food. No shops are open. But there, they did say that there will be food options when fans are in the building. So I'm not sure if that'll be open to us as well. I'm assuming so. And so I have been craving a MSG hot dog or chicken fingers for a really long time. Oh, every time on, I'm in the Molly. building, we gotta go the pastrami. <laughs> you gotta get the good stuff, the big uh, shrimp. That's a, I like to stick to the classic stadium food. You gotta go the Ron Duguay style. We go the fancy, <laughs> the fancy style. Ron, I know you're excited. What in the next coming weeks? Whenever you're back up here in New York to be back in the garden too. I am right now. I'm kind of looking at March two. I think there's a game March two that I've been invited to. Uh, That's on go Tuesday. And, That's before yeah. our next show. It's yes. coming. Yeah. So I may be there because I've been invited uh, with a, a friend of mine who's going to have a suite, and that makes it a little bit different. You know, sweets. You get the good food and you get the good drinks, and and so I'm looking forward to possibly going to the game on March two. Wow, it's coming. So for our next show, we'll have feedback from Ron about the life at the Garden. Maybe if Molly's down there, she'll pop down in the suite and say hello. Because I don't think you two have met in person, right? Or have you? No, we haven't. Wow. We we have not, and I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> d- Molly, d- Molly off the air. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Molly it's off the air. a whole ice. different person. Yeah, it is a different person indeed. And uh can't wait for that experience. Double shots only. Remember, no singles. So, Molly, oh, be prepared. You might have to take off. Uh, no, I off can't hang. Mark. I'm a lightweight. Ron will actually... <laughs> destroy me (laughs) our next guest is not a lightweight it's the hall of fame hockey writer for the rangers well we don't know this we'll have to find out if he if he takes his shots double that's larry brooks coming up next on up in the blue seats joining us next is our new york post hall of fame rangers beat writer larry brooks Follow Larry on Twitter at NYP underscore Brooksy and read his stories in the post and at nypost.com. Larry, getting right into the Panarin situation, I know you have a well-positioned source with knowledge of the political climate over there in Russia. What is the latest from that person and what do they think about this former KHL coach, Andrei Nazarov? It's it's. Almost impossible to find anyone who has had dealings with Nazarov who has any respect for him. So you have to start with that. That, And in addition to that, on top of that, is the fact that he has apparently been going off on these screeds now uh, semi-regularly recently. So what I find, and actually what I've been thinking the last 12, 24 hours about this, is that it's, it is pretty disturbing that an allegation like this can be made wholly unsubstantiated and it forces for whatever reason Panarin off the ice and i think that that you know we you know there there may be questions about the underlying motivations of 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 the uh, of Nazarov and there may be underlying questions about what's going on politically in russia but although there probably aren't but it's remarkable that this kind of a charge has now forced 
the Rangers' best player and you know, one of the best five, ten players in the NHL off the ice for an indeterminate period of time. And I find that to be rather frightening, actually. Obviously, the Rangers have granted Panarin a leave of absence, and there hasn't been a set timeline, like you just said. It's considered indefinite. But if you had to guess or if you have any insight on how long it may be, could you share that with us? And what do you think he's doing during this time away from the team? Well, that's the question. And A, the answer to, answer to the first question is I have no idea how long Panarin will be out. And B, I have no idea what he's doing during, during this league. It's not funny, but that, that's the mystery right now. That, that is the mystery in North America attached to this. That's the mystery in New York attached to this is what exactly is the leave of absence required for? And I think it's fair to say that he is obviously very, very shaken by this. Anyone would be. Uh, these are you know, serious allegations. He's being vilified in his home country. And, and there's probably part of this story, or not probably, um, certainly parts of this story that we don't know. And I assume that those are the parts of the story that Panarin is attempting to deal with right now. But there has been no hint of what this leave of absence actually is for. So um, I think you have to give Artemi the benefit of the doubt on this, why he needs to be away from the team, and just see how it plays out. You know, I, uh, other than that, I can't do any better than that. Right, Larry. And we do know that he has family over there, that his grandparents who adopted him and essentially raised him are still there. So my own opinion and, you know, general observation is that it's probably a safety thing. You know, he's probably concerned for their well-being over there. But what do you think this does to the Rangers? Obviously, Panarin's their best player, most consistent offensive weapon. Where does the team go from here? And do you think this is a major distraction for them? You know, the distraction, I don't know that it's a distraction, especially in this season where the interaction between press and, and the team is so limited, just limited to Zoom. It's not as if every day at practice, they're going to have a dozen reporters walking in asking everybody questions about Artemi Panera. And I, and I think generally, you know, distractions are, are overrated unless they, unless they concern dynamics within the, within the locker room and between players and coaches. I think I think hockey-related incidents can become distractions. I think generally we tend to talk about distractions a lot more often than players actually deal with them. I think that the real consequence here is for the Rangers is that you know, they're without their best player who elevates everyone he's on the ice with just about every game. And um, it, it was funny, too, because his last two games that he played before he stepped away, you just were reminded because he had missed the game before that or a couple of games before that, right, with with some sort of upper body injury. And so he come, he had come back and you could just see the way the, the team elevated. And, you know, you're just reminded of, of the importance, the value he has to this team. Every time he's on the ice, essentially, the Rangers are a threat to score. And they didn't lose in Philadelphia because they couldn't score last night. But asking a team that's thin enough to begin with to accommodate the absence of, of, of one of the elite players in the league is, is a challenge, uh, is, is a real challenge for them. And, and it's, you know, certainly it's, ex it's exacerbated by the fact that um, now 
you know, Kako has missed a couple of games and Heedle is still out. But, you know, maybe uh, if Heedle's back next week or in another 10 days, that will change the dynamic a little bit. And again, I, I, I have no idea. Maybe Panarin will be back in, in a week. Uh, maybe Panarin will be back in four days. I, you know, I have no idea, but they don't have they don't have a kick. The Rangers. I mean, we've we've seen. I mean, the Flyers. You know, the Flyers have played their last three games without either five or six players because of COVID. And teams all over the league have been hammered by COVID. There have been injuries that teams get through. So, this is just the the Rangers' fate. You know, understanding that that it's going to be impossible for any one person to replace Panarin. That's that's for sure. Larry, uh, we can't let you go without talking a little bit more about last night's game. You mentioned some of it. You know, when you got to be disappointed because you go into that game with a lot of good momentum, winning big against Washington. And uh, last night, obviously, taking bad penalties really kind of hurt them. The one player that's kind of been paying attention to is kind of standing out to me and trying to keep this a little bit positive is Brendan Smith. I think that he's fallen into knowing his role and uh, he's one player that I think is overall is playing very well. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I think after his, well, the last two years, I think Brendan Smith has been a very, very valuable player for the Rangers. And I agree with you here. He is a player. He's a former first round draft choice was, was, you know, was, was never, you know, a, a top two, but was always a top four guy in Detroit. And the Rangers got him at the deadline that year in 17. And he had a tremendous playoffs, just a tremendous playoffs. He and Brady Shea were there and they were as effective as they could be. And so he earned the contract extension. It was kind of a pricey one, but it was, it was, um, it was, he got market value and he stayed instead of going on to the free agent market. So he was an important part of, of, the, of the last Ranger playoff drive. And then his first year, he just, it just all went wrong for him. His second year he, he, in New York, he rebounded a little bit. But it was, it was really with the, uh, with the hiring of David Quinn, with whom he'd had a relationship, that Smith's evolved into a player who understands his role and embraces it. He's he is uh, he's a chatty guy. He's got a, a you know he's got a personality. He's unafraid to speak out, and he brings. I think he brings some level of personality to the team and, and to the room as well. But he he I, I agree with you. He is he has played I think to his capabilities for the last two years, and when a player plays to his capabilities, there's not much more you can ask. Always a pleasure, Larry. Thank you for all your insight, and we'll chat again next week. All right. Sounds good, Molly. Thanks, Ronnie. Our guest this week is a former Rangers winger who was part of that 2013-14 team that went all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals before falling to the Los Angeles Kings. He played nine seasons in the AHL from 2006 to 2015 with the Coyotes, Flyers, Blackhawks, Kings, as well as the Blue Shirts. After retiring, he, recre he created a nonprofit organization that assists former NHL players who are suffering from post-concussion syndrome and mental health issues and became a, the founder and CEO of Wasana Health, an emerging life sciences company committed to the patient empowerment and the advancement of psilocybin based medicine to improve health and wellness. You might know him as Carbomb, Please welcome Daniel Carcillo. Thanks for joining us, Dan. 
Dan, I'm going to be honest with you. I was, I think, a senior in high school during that run to that cup in 2014. And you were probably one of my favorite players on that team. And I can tell you the exact moment you became my favorite. It was a game in Philly, and we all know your history playing against the Flyers. You scored a goal, and you skated right to the boards, and the Flyers fans are flipping you off and screaming at you, and you could see you paused for a second and debated what you were going to do, and then you just went off, screaming back at them, screaming F you to them, and I remember sitting on my couch just hysterically laughing, and it was just so awesome, so it's it's really <laughs> exciting for me to get to talk to you, but... I'm curious, what was unique Wait, good, about Hold play? on, we can't just stop. We got to react to this because he, you know, he's getting checked into the boards and Molly's mom's making her lunch uh, with, with, a, with a note saying how much she loves her. I mean, how does that make you feel, Dan? Does that make you feel old a little bit? No, I think that's pretty cool. Like, uh, mm-hmm. I always like hearing, last night we were at dinner, for example, and his father and his son just have some really cool memories of being at Ranger games and stuff. And that's, it's like, it, I love hearing it because it's the stuff you don't really think about when you're playing, you know? And I remember that like it was yesterday, just getting a cross-ice pass and backhand through Ray Emery's five-hole and then slashing the glass, nearly missing the ref. And yeah, just... (laughs) Yeah, flipping off the fan, or the fan was flipping me <laughs> off, and I was, uh, I don't really remember what I was saying, but it was a pretty intense moment, for sure. Yeah, this is pretty expletive-laced, if I recall correctly. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, there's some cool pictures from it, I remember that. So. <laughs> it was definitely one of my favorite moments. But I'm curious, you know, what, what was unique about playing for that Rangers team and, and that run to the Cup that year? Oh, that's a great question. I came to the team... So I was in L.A. We ended up obviously losing to the Kings, but I started the season in L.A. with the Sutters, and it was just miserable the way that he coached. I've never been around a coach like that who just made everybody around them miserable when we weren't winning. And um, then I came to the Rangers, and I remember it was the total opposite. Vigneault was just you know kind of lighthearted, but always was very direct with you as a coach. Um, you know, told you where you stood, which I always respected. And then you come to a team with like Mark Stahl and and Nash and all these guys who have like, they had such a good positive attitude about everything. It was really like a close knit group with like Stefan and Marty St. Louis and Henrik. Uh, So it was, it was so different from, from where I came and, and what I was used to or the environment that I was used to playing in. So I'll never, I'll never forget that. And then obviously you know, everything that happened with Marty and um, his family and then everybody kind of banding together during that run. It was, yeah, it was a really special, special time for sure. Hey, Dan, it's Ron Duguay. And my time with you is limited because Molly wants to continue gushing over you. <laughs> Shut up, Ron. <laughs> and, so, and so I have, and she wants to discuss with you and talk to you about your company, Wasana. And I'm going to sit back and listen on that. I'm going to ask you an hockey question. But I'm, I'm intrigued because I want to listen because it talks about magic mushrooms. When I think magic mushrooms, I think about my days back at Studio 54, walking in, <laughs> being mentally prepared and having some fun. But now it's different. It's CBD. Mm-hmm. It's very healthy. My kids, I have three boys who tell me, Dad, you need to try this. I say, no, no, no. I still feel guilty about what I did back in the 70s. So anyways, <laughs> let, let's talk hockey for a minute. I look back at um, in 2003 where you drafted third, third overall by uh, Pittsburgh, and I'm looking at your numbers, and I'm like, wow, this guy can score goals. He was scoring goals 
as a junior, and I can understand you're playing in Sarnia, I can understand why your draft is so high. And then you get to the AHL, you were still scoring. So my question to you is this. If you were to look back, would you want to change anything? Because you got into doing a whole lot of fighting, which you did establish yourself in junior, and you continue to do it at the AHL level, and then you did it at the NHL. If you were to go back, would you kind of change your preparation to be a hockey player to possibly think of maybe I should try scoring a little more versus fighting when you went through what you went through? No, I wouldn't change the thing. Really happy with how my career ended up. Uh, really happy with, you know, how the league treated us in regards to our health or lack thereof. They didn't. So then I was able to become my own patient advocate when I retired after seven diagnosed concussions and find a solution for myself and, and hopefully pass on that solution to other people. But like as a hockey player, when I was playing, like there wasn't any talk about mental health. There wasn't any talk about concussions. There was just a different way to play the game. Like I learned it from watching Rock'em Sock'em videos, pretending I was sick from school and just lining them up. And that is kind of how the game was played back then. It was more so just lean on people to try to take their will away. You always test people. Uh, and now it's more so just, um, you know, the, the skill is highlighted. And yeah, I was a 30 goal scorer every year in the OHL. And then I got to the AHL and the way that I played the game was different from everybody else. So I, I was only like 165 pounds soaking wet when I uh, got drafted and I just knew Number one, like I'm a really honorable person. And so if I make a big hit and somebody tries to fight me, then I fight, you know, uh, that's just the way it was back then. But I only had six fights in the OHL. And then when I got to the AHL, just because I played the game so hard, uh, pissed a lot of guys off. So I knew that turning pro, especially at 19, I had to put some weight on. So I put some weight on that summer before I got into the AHL. And honestly, like I, my first fight, I beat up Kevin Cauley, who was pretty, pretty tough. And my, I remember my captain looking at me, Elaine Nazardine, saying, geez, man, where'd that come from? And, and then I just, I don't know, I just kept doing it, protecting myself, protecting my teammates, trying to change the momentum of, of a game. I just thought it was something that you could add to your resume. I could skate, I could hit, I could shoot, I could score, and then now I can fight or change the momentum of a game, uh, stick up for myself, my teammates. So I just saw it as something else to put on your resume. And then when I got to Arizona, I was the only one that, you know, that, that did that. And so you do kind of get pigeonholed sometimes more so, you know, that skill was highlighted over me be being able to actually play the game. But I think I, I think I did pretty good as far as my career and, and the way that it all played out. I played on, you know, four teams in my last or three teams in my last four years that went to the Stanley Cup finals, you know, so I'm really proud about that. And just tried to, you know, be the best teammate I could towards the end. Wasn't playing too much, but you, you, do, you do your part, you know. So, uh, no, man, I, I don't regret anything. Dan, I'm uh, pretty good friends with Theo Fleury, and I've gotten to know him after at the end of his career. And he's been pretty vocal about some of the stuff that he went through as a junior hockey player the mistreatment. And I know that uh, you've talked about and you've provided some leadership there where you want to expose some of the stuff that you've gone through in the OHL and you filed a lawsuit against the Canadian Hockey League. 
Do you mind sharing some of that with us with uh, with what you want to talk about and just continue to talk about it? Because if we don't talk about it, nothing changes. Of course. Yeah. When I left the game, hockey culture is something that I was a part of. And, you know, you're a product of your environment, right? And hockey culture turned me into a person that I never want to be again. And it uh, at 25, I had to ask for help because my life was just spiraling downward. And I had a lot of issues and trauma that I didn't realize was fueling me. So my nickname was Carbomb, but my nickname wasn't Carbomb in junior. It's just like kind of the way I played the game. Um, but when we left home at 16, it was my draft year. There were 12 rookies on that Sarnia team. And, you know, we got paddled every single day. We had to, you know, strip in front of our stall and, and just get hit. <laughs> and it was just really, it was really strange, you know, to me. I remember just thinking, like, um, I thought, you know, we were supposed to be teammates. And it was just a really weird thing. But uh, there's so much power during that year, right? It's your draft year. So if you, in hockey culture, if you speak up and actually, like, say how you feel, you're pretty much ostracized and whatever is said in the room stays in the room. And when that door gets locked, that door gets locked. And we had a coach that promoted it, you know, that harbored an environment for it to continue. And it continued all year. And it was something that now I think of, and I look back on my career that really shaped me into the, you know, I've said it before, like I was an animal on the ice. Like I would rip your throat out and I'm not like that off the ice at all. And so, you know, Theo says it a lot too, right? Like hockey is the best anger management. When I looked at it, just like when I looked at all of the information that we have and all of the information that the NHL withheld from us about concussion, right? You just start learning. Uh, you start digging in and I just don't agree, you know, and I, and I didn't agree with what happened to me and 12 others. And, you know, the only way that I see that we can enact change especially with like the NHL and such big leagues like the CHL is to hold people accountable. And the way that I do that is like first reaching out to them, trying to, you know, figure out programming and, and bringing former players in and, and trying to help, you know, to ensure that this doesn't happen again. But when that doesn't, you know, come to fruition, then with the NHL specifically, you know, you have to take money out of their pocket for them to listen. You know, and so it's very, you know, it's a little bit different with the class action lawsuit in Canada because there you're trying to protect minors and kids and implement programming to make sure that what happened to us in Sarnia and what, you know, continues to happen in this culture, hopefully, you know, puts it puts an end to it, you know, just shines a light. And I just don't think that that should be part of it. Like hockey's hard enough, man. You know, the game in general is just hard enough and you're going to suffer there's no reason to to do that to your teammates you know and so yeah man it, it's been a really interesting journey and I'm just trying to you know do the best I can and and Ron like when you were playing accountability right that's all we got preached you know be accountable come to the rink be ready to play now well, sometimes you have to hold these leagues accountable you know when they make mistakes and they don't want to look at it so that's what I'm trying to do. When you retired in 2015, I, I know it was probably extremely tough for you having to step away due to concussions, something you just can't control. And you created the Chapter 5 Foundation in honor of your former Blackhawks teammate, Steve Montator, who tragically passed away. And it was later discovered that he suffered from CTE. 
Could you just walk us through your decision to create the foundation and what is the latest on it today? Yeah. So we created that chapter five, uh, next chapter in your life. And five was the number that Steve wore and he had no help. You know, we, I didn't have any help uh, from the PA. There's no transition program. Like the world that we lived in, the hockey world is not the real world. And you don't get a lot of the same skill sets that you have to use in the real world. So when you get out of the hockey community, you know, you're on the outside and you just have to learn all of these things. They're simple things, but they really do stress families out. And, and you know, you have to really, I, I believe the first step in that is, is taking your health into your own hands and making sure that, that our hormones are right and, and that we have other purpose. You know, that's really, that's a really big deal for hockey players. We're so task oriented. For anybody, really, any human, um, we need another purpose. And then we never really discover who we are. You know, like I always thought that I was the hockey player named Daniel, and I'm Daniel, who played hockey. So those are two different statements. And I just think that we need to discover who we are as people, and then we can move into our new life. And so uh, just putting some programming around that and, and trying to just talk to guys. My wife talks to other wives about, you know, possible signs and symptoms that they might go through because, you know, it's a depressing time when, when you um, are done doing the one thing that you, that you know how to do <laughs> since you were four, you know, there's going to be a little, there's going to be a little come down from that. So we're just there to support, answer calls and help. And, you know, right now it's more so connecting people with the right, with the right care. You know, whether that's for their head, whether that's for the symptoms derived from repetitive head trauma that never got treated, um, whether that looks like rehab. And that's kind of where, you know, we sauna health aims to be a natural type of solution for guys to rewire their brain and and create new neurological pathways and become the first novel validated care option through the FDA and Health Canada clinical trials. And so, yeah, we're... You know, it's evolved really, really nicely. And we just, I just try to help as, as much as I can, you know, and just talk about my experience. And hopefully other guys don't have to suffer through four years of being their own patient advocate like I had to. That brings me to your latest work with Wasana Health, which focuses on developing psychedelic assisted therapies like Ron just mentioned earlier to treat traumatic brain injuries. And obviously this is, this is such important work, not only in hockey, but other physical sports too, like football. I'm curious, has there been any support from the NHL or involvement with this company? And could you just tell us a little bit more about your research? So the short answer is no, but you know, that being said, we, you know, we, I haven't reached out to the NHL. I have reached out to the NHLPA alumni association and their chief medical officer, and we're sending them a, um, a research paper just to kind of show them the new research that's happening at John Hopkins University and how this um, medicine, when done correctly in, in the right environment, can take away terminally ill cancer patients, anxiety, and depression. So imagine what it can do for everybody else. And so I just think that eventually we are going to, and we are moving through building this professional alliance. And what we sauna health is all about. Sauna means heal and we heal together. And what I've been trying to, I guess unconsciously I've been creating this TBI community. And eventually I just I knew that I would find a treatment or treatments 
that would help rewire my brain and bring me out uh, all of the symptoms that I was suffering from. Because when I left the game, there was noise sensitivity, light sensitivity, slurred speech, impulse control issues, insomnia, uh, concentration, focus, short-term, long-term memory issues, anxiety, depression that ended up turning into suicidal ideation. And with TBI, there's no standard of care right now. So that means that if you bump your head, you're most likely not going to be able to tell me where you go get diagnosed. And even if you get a diagnosis of a concussion, you have no, you have no data before that, right? So we don't know how badly you're hurt. So then it just becomes a guessing game to try to rehabilitate. So one of the things that we're trying to do is work with uh, medical professionals and, and standardize some type of semblance of, of care for TBI. And then we are working through FDA and Health Canada trials with the formulas that have helped and the medicine uh, that has helped me recover my brain health. Six months into this regimen, I, I got a clear QEG and clear uh, blood work. I had the free testosterone of a 72-year-old male. So that explains some of my fatigue and brain fog and anxiety. And then I, my stress levels were three times as high because obviously we see in the news a lot of TBI-related neurodegenerative disease and Steve's story and uh, my grandmother died of Alzheimer's and so now my history, family history, and I'm just much more at risk. So I've got to be really proactive. And that's what I uh, am trying to do. And to get a clear QEG or brain scan that confirms structural change just after six months only six months of being on this uh, natural, all natural um, medicine that is a potent neuroprotectant and neuroanti-inflammatory. It was, I still pinch myself. You know, I've only, because 19 months ago when I started this, I was still sleeping until 3 p.m. And I was, I had, you know, divorce papers in my bag and I had a plan to kill myself to unburden my family because I didn't want my kids to see me like, I didn't want them to grow up around me, you know, like it was that bad. And so we're just trying to, number one, obviously the way this, these, these medicines are, are scheduled, it's just, they're schedule one, just like cannabis. And that means there's no medicinal value and they're highly addictive, which both couldn't be further from the truth. And so what we have to do as a company is go through FDA and Health Canada trials with the specific regimen and medicine that helped me to prove it out to the regulators, and then you'll be able to go get it prescribed. And we'll have uh, one of the first medicines that promotes neurogenesis that comes from one of the biggest mycelium natural networks on earth. It's a really exciting time to, you know, to be on the forefront of this, of this medicine. And we're looking to work with, you know, Mount Sinai in New York. I've done a lot of work with John Crary and the brain bank there. And then after we, we prove out uh, TBI, um, then we're going to go after a neurodegenerative disease. So it's, um, yeah, really, really, really exciting. Well, Dan, you're really doing such inspiring work. Thank you so much for that and keep it up. It was absolutely a pleasure to have you on. Those listening can follow him at carbomboom13 on Twitter. Thanks so much for joining us and we hope to have you on again in the future. All right. Thanks, guys. wraps up episode 45, the Steve Veliquet edition of Up in the Blue Seats, our New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Alex Camerata for producing the show. Go into Apple Podcasts now and give us that five-star rating and write in a review if you like. We appreciate your support. 
For Ron Duguay, I'm Molly Walker. We'll chat with you guys again next Thursday. Stay warm, stay safe, and stay healthy. Thanks for listening.